You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. So last week, we started uh, this new series called uh, Prayers of the Heart, and I'm excited for this uh, series, but it's also going to be a difficult series because I think we all know what prayer is, right? We all pray to God, and whether you grew up in church, whether um, you are new to the faith, or maybe maybe if, if it's your first day here, you still, if you're a non-believer, you still know that prayer is very important to the Christian life. You know, when you struggle with your walk with God, when you feel like you're not growing as a believer, when you are in the spiritual slump or you hit a wall, you know, we go to people uh, for advice, and a lot of times the advice that you receive is quite simple. Read your Bible and pray. Right? No matter what kind of problem we bring up, right, whether it's in life group, whether it's in a group setting with a, a group of brothers and sisters in Christ, Nine out of ten times, and that one time is probably like when someone doesn't know how to give advice, nine out of ten times, the conversation always ends. It's like, yeah, yeah, I got to read the Bible more, or I got to pray more. I just got to spend more time with God. It seems like we all know the importance of prayer, and we all want to have this deep, real prayer life. The question is how? How do we pray? How can we improve our prayer life? You know, so many people tell us that it's important to pray, but few people actually teach us or tell us how to pray. You know, some people would say prayer is like talking to God. It's like having a conversation. Right? You speak to God, God speaks to you. It's this kind of ongoing communication. Now, some people say that prayer is not about you, but it's about God. Therefore, you shouldn't pray for your own needs or your own selfish desires, but you should pray for God's kingdom. You should pray for the church. You should pray for the country. You should pray for the present. All these different things. The reason why you're not flourishing in your prayer is because you focus so much on yourself and you don't pray about other things. Some people say that the best way to pray is just pray. Just go do it. Right? Just Block a, a, a time in, in your schedule and, and just come out to pray. Spend time with God. Get on your knees every day and just pray. And eventually, you'll get the hang of it. You, you'll learn how to pray eventually. Eventually, something's going to happen, right? Now, all of these things have some valid points. I think there's a lot of truth to these statements. But the problem is, no matter how hard we try to listen, there are times when it seems like God is not speaking. Right? We say, okay, God, I spoke. That's the easy part, so speak to me, speak to me. I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening. And you don't know what's going on, right? Uh, praying for other people, for the church, for the nations, it's, it's a great thing, right? Uh, you know, we, we love praying for the intercessory prayer. The problem is when our life gets difficult, we wonder, God, what about me? I'm praying for all these things. I'm praying for your kingdom to expand, but yet what? about me. Now, it's true that if you want to deepen your prayer life, you have to spend time in prayer. 
And that's kind of like anything with life, right? If you want to learn an instrument, you need to put in the work. You need to practice. If you want to learn a language, you need to practice the language. But the problem is, if I sit in front of a piano for many, many hours, do I automatically understand and know how to play the piano? No. I mean, those hours are meaningless if I don't have direction and guidance. So we all know that it's pretty important to pray. The question is how. And this is why, you know, the next couple of weeks, we're going to spend some time in the book of Psalms because the book of Psalms contains prayers, examples of prayers that are approved by God. Kind of like it's FDA approved. It's, it's God-approved prayers. The book of Psalms is a very unique book in the Bible in a way that it's bi-directional. You know, a lot of times we just look at the Bible and it's, we think, okay, this is the word of God to me. But if you think about the book of Psalms, these are God's words that are given to us. Also, these are, God, these are words that people spoke to God. Right? It's a collection of prayers and songs that people lift up to God. But also, it's the inspired word of God that is given to us. So it's bi-directional. Now, in other words, when we read the book of Psalms, we are reading examples of prayers, case studies of prayers that are given and approved by God himself. The advice that we receive from the book of Psalms is not just simple advice that is given by men or experience. These are advices that are given by God. And with that... Being said, I want to jump into Psalm 13. And Psalm 13 is a psalm that is written by King David. Probably one of the most godly men in the entire Bible. The one who God calls a man after my own heart. Now, we don't know exactly when David wrote this psalm. You know, some people say, well, probably it was when he was being chased by Saul. Some people say when he was being chased by his own son, um, Absalom. But the truth is, the Bible doesn't say anything about it. You know, we don't have a lot of details about the historical context of this psalm. However, something is very clear. David here is in a pretty difficult situation. You know, he's in trouble and he's in distress. He's overwhelmed with everything that is going on. You know, he is in deep pain and deep sorrow. And he's at the point where life is not making sense. And therefore, God is not making sense. Psalm 13 is a psalm of lament. It is a psalm that teaches us how to pray, especially when our hearts are overwhelmed. When we are overwhelmed with life and things are falling apart. It teaches us how to pray when it seems like God is not there. And how do you pray when life is falling apart and when God is nowhere to be found? So first, David, he shows us that there's a progression in his prayer. So the very first thing that he does is David shares his emotions with God. He shares his emotions with God. Look at verse 1 with me together. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? You know, four times David uses the word how long. 
in these two simple verses. And you get the sense that David is not just whining. He's not just this weak dude that can't handle life, right? It seems like he's trying. He's trying to get things, keep things together. He's trying to endure faithfully. But he sees that things are not getting any better. That his situation is becoming unbearable. That's getting heavier and heavier and heavier. So he simply states the way that he feels about his life, about his situation, and about God. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? David feels forgotten. It is as if he's sending text after text to this one person, God, but he's not receiving any response. And you know that feeling, right? You know, this happens a lot with my youth kids. I would send text after text, and it's like, no response. And, and, and that hurts, right? I feel insignificant. I feel like they're not appreciating me. I feel forgotten. You know, David, he feels like God is too busy for him. You know, it doesn't seem like God is working in the midst of his suffering. He feels unloved and unrecognized by God. But it gets even worse. He says, how long will you hide your face from me? So not only is God neglecting David, David is saying, I feel like you are actually rejecting me. That you're not passively forgetting about me. It's not like you're busy and passively, oh, you're like forgetting about me. But you are actively hiding your face from me. You are intentionally playing hide and seek with me that I can't find you. You are nowhere to be found. In a sense, he feels abandoned here. How long must I take counsel in my soul? His soul is restless because he doesn't recognize God's presence, nor does he hear God's voice. The only counsel that he receives is from his own soul. And you know that can't be a good thing. You know, a lot of times when we counsel other people, when we give other people advice, we give awesome advice. Right? Because we're not in that situation. It's so easy to give sound advice. Right? Just pray, just uh, you know, endure, um, read your Bible, be happy. It's easy to give advice. But when you come to giving advice to yourself, it's really difficult. Either some people are too generous of themselves, which leads to self-pity, and they begin to just blame everything about life. Or people are too strict on themselves, and they just blame everything on themselves. Man, these things are happening because of me. David continues to say, and have sorrow in my heart all the day. So David, the godly man David, is clearly in a state of depression. No, his heart is just aching. He is torn day after day, all the day. Sorrow is filling his heart. And he says, how shall my enemy be exalted over me? And that's kind of the... That's the deal breaker, right? I mean, it, it, you can endure if you're just going through suffering, but when you see your enemies prospering, when you see your enemies flourishing, right? when you are trying to live this godly life and someone else is receiving the blessings of life, someone else, else is thriving in life, it's like, God, man, what, what, what are you doing? Now, at least if that person is not flourishing, it's easy for me to, to, to live, it's easy for me to bear my circumstances, but wow. Do you feel, David? Do you get the sense of his emotions? In the span of two verses, David just pours out his heart to God. He is just brutally honest with God. 
He's expressing his emotions in a very real way. And he's simply saying, God, this is how I feel. Now, when I first read this, I got to be honest, I was pretty surprised. No, when I read the first two verses, I was like, what's wrong with David? Right? He's supposed to be that godly man. He's supposed to be the greatest king of Israel. You know, why is he being so dramatic? You know, man, he, he's tougher than that. He's better than that. Now, why would I think in such a way? Why would you maybe think in such a way? It's because I think growing up, a lot of us have been taught to control and suppress our emotions. We've been taught that that is a mature thing to do. When we cry, people told us not to cry. When we are sad, people will tell us, don't be sad. Right? When, when we get excited, people are like, whoa, whoa, calm down, <laughs> calm down. It's like if you become a little bit emotional, people are like freaking out. It's like, no, no, that you're, you're going off of your normal state. Something is wrong with you. Right? I had this idea where you, if you express your emotions, you, you are immature, you're childish, People told me that when you fight, if you tear up, that's when you lose because you are showing signs of immaturity, right? Leaving your emotions behind just seems like the right thing to do. But what about in church? Even in church, I think we are afraid to express our real emotions. And when we get excited, people might think that we're charismatic, Right? Too expressive. When we are too happy, people might think, okay, that guy is just clueless. When people are too angry, we might say, oh, man, he doesn't have self-control. When we see someone who's really sad, we're like, wow, that person must have a lack of faith. When we see people cry, we view them as weak and fragile. For some reason, we think emotions are bad, and showing emotions is a sign of weakness. But let me ask you a question. Where do we get our emotions from? God. Our emotions are given by God. Emotions are not the result of a fall. It's not like God created Adam and Eve in in an emotionless state. It's not like they didn't feel anything. No, they had full emotions. Even God has emotions, right? If you look through the Old Testament, he is pretty emotional, right? He is jealous. He gets angry. He gets sad looking at the people just living in sin. And what about Jesus? He lived the perfect life, and also the Bible says he lived a sinless life, yet he expresses emotions. He gets mad when the people are trying to sell stuff uh, in, the, in, in the temple. He gets sad when he looks at Jerusalem, when he's walking into Jerusalem in his triumphal entry. He weeps when he hears um, that Lazarus is dead and when he encounters Mary. And even in Luke 15, he expresses how he rejoices when the lost is found. If Jesus was sinless, yet he had emotions, that tells us something. That emotions itself are not bad, they're not harmful, and they are not sinful. Now, does that mean sin does not have any impact on the way that we feel? Absolutely not. It has a dramatic impact on the way that we feel. And that's why emotions can be dangerous, right? Because these God-given emotions are distorted by sin. And Jeremiah 17, 7 says, Our hearts are deceitful above all things 
and it is desperately sick. It is deceiving. But does that mean we can't trust any of our emotions? Absolutely not. Emotions are the way that we get an honest expression of the heart. One person said this, emotion is the process of giving voice to the heart. Instead of ignoring his emotions, David, he brings his emotions to God. He is brutally honest and deeply emotional in front of God. And after sharing his emotions, David begins to share his expectations. Verse 3 says this, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Verse 4, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes reject because I am shaken. In the midst of sorrow and pain, David knows and he's well aware that he is helpless and hopeless without God. No, so he makes his request known to God. I mean, if he truly believed that God has forsaken him, he wouldn't even pray to God, right? Right? But he makes his request known to God. He says, God, I feel forgotten, therefore consider me. God, I feel abandoned, therefore answer me. God, my heart is filled with sorrow, therefore lighten up my eyes. Give me a perspective. Not only does David share his emotions, but based on how he feels, he begins to process his emotions, and he changed those things into expectations. You know, we see that David is extremely honest with God and with how he feels, but we also see that he doesn't forget to place God in the right place. That he acknowledges God. He still uses the covenant name Yahweh, and he calls out, O Lord, my God, God's personal name, O Lord. Not only does he pray in a very honest way, but also, he puts God in the right place. Prayer is putting God in the right place. It is the ultimate act of dependence, saying that, God, I am hopeless, I am helpless, this is how I feel, but I know that without you, I have no hope, that I have no future. There's nothing that I can do. God, you are God, and I'm, I'm just me, and I can't do this without you, no matter how difficult this situation is. David pours out his emotions to God, and he's able to process this in light of God, and now we see that David is embracing God. Verse 5, it says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. One of the most beautiful words, steadfast love, in the Hebrew, it is hesed. Basically, everything that's good, mercy, kindness, and it's kind of translated in different ways in, in, over the Psalms. You know, his unfailing, unchanging, steadfast love, everything that is good about God is packed into this one word. You know, this, this steadfast love, hesed, is not just love that is based on emotion or feeling, but is love based on loyalty and commitment. It is God's covenantal love. It is his love saying that I'm, my love is not going to change because I am committed to love you. Now, David is trusting in God, but especially in his goodness. And we also see that David is trusting in God's grace. It says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. David is remembering all the times in which God saved him and how he extended his grace to David. In verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, he has dealt generously 
abundantly, that God is not holding back, but he has poured out his blessings to me. David embraces the goodness and the grace of God. Now, in this psalm, you can see the progression of David's prayer. His attention in the beginning, the first two verses, are solely on him and in circumstances, but it ends with God. His attention is fixed on God's character. His perspective is changed because of God. He is rejoicing in God's salvation and in his grace. So how should we pray when life is falling apart and when it is hard to trust the goodness and the grace of God? Well, first of all, we share our emotions with God in a very real and honest way. We process our emotions by putting God in his right place, but also making our requests known to God in an honest way. And lastly, we embrace the greater reality that God is still good, and that his grace is still sufficient. You know, last night, my wife, um, she hanged out with some of our EM members, and um, in the middle uh, of the night, she called me and said, hey, uh, she says, can you get ready? Because Timothy is crying in the car. And Timothy, he has this thing where he cries in the car. He hates being alone, especially when um, his mommy's not in the back seat and he can't see anything. And it gets worse at night. And I notice whenever Timothy cries, I hold him up and I say, hey, Timothy, don't cry. No, I say, hey, don't be scared. It's okay. And there's nothing to be scared of. You know, just snap out of it. Man, why are you being such a child, right? I mean, he's just like one year old. And I'm like, I'm so being so impatient. Like, can't he see that I'm right here? You know, when I'm doing the dishes and he can't see me, he cries. And I'm like, man, I'm just around the corner. But for Timothy, not seeing his parents is a scary thing. If you think about it, this kid, alone in the dark, he can't see his parents. He's driving in this vehicle that's going up and down, up and down, Right? Right? He, he doesn't see anything. It's like, whoo, that is scary. So I realized after a point of time that instead of rebuking Timothy for showing his emotions, I kind of embrace his emotions. You know, I and mean, you probably have this experience if you have a child, right, late at night when the kid doesn't want to go to bed because he, the kid is scared. By you telling the, the kid, okay, don't be scared, it doesn't help. But if you ask the question, share how you feel. Express your heart to me. And the kid begins to say, well, I'm scared because I'm alone. I'm scared because I can't see anything. And you kind of embrace your child and say, yeah, yeah, hey, it's it's okay to be scared. I I totally feel you. Dark, being in the dark is a scary thing. That's why I lock my door at night, right? (laughs) But you don't just end there, but you bring in a greater reality and remind them that, but, you know, daddy's going to be here. Daddy's not going anywhere. Maybe I have my gun somewhere ready, (laughs) just in case, right? You assure them of your presence and of your love and your goodness, and you say, nothing is going to happen to you. Trust me. No, I think a lot of times when we give advice to one another, we give pretty bad advice. You just say, hey, just, you know, your feelings, don't trust your feelings. You know, just trust your brain, right? When you can't understand God with your heart, you know, just read the Bible. It's going to make sense. The psalm challenges us to disregard the notion 
that there's a quick fix to overcoming difficult situations. No, I don't think this prayer was prayed in one setting. Um, if you notice, uh, between verse 2 and 3 and between verse 4 and 5, there's a small gap, and that's not because there's an error in the Bible, but in the Hebrew language, there's kind of like a period which finishes a unit of thought. So there's three units of thoughts. The problem is going from verse 2 to verse 3, from verse 4 to verse 5, is a long journey. It is a long journey for you to express your emotions and process it by making your, 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 your heart and your, your desire known to God and ultimately arriving at a place where you are embracing God's goodness and character. You don't just snap out of this, but know that it is possible. Now, if you think about this, Jesus, he was in great distress when he was heading towards the cross, right before when he was praying in the garden, and when he was hanging on the cross, he pours out his heart to the Lord. He cries out and laments, by the way, quoting Psalm 22, verse 1, which is a psalm of a lament song by David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Doesn't it sound familiar? Jesus felt forsaken. He thought God was hiding his face from him. He thought he was neglected and rejected by God. Jesus knows what it feels like to be forsaken and forgotten. Jesus knows what it feels like to have his heart filled with sorrow and, and pain. But what does he do at that moment? He still remembers the Lord. He reflects on God's goodness and he reflects on God's grace. He embraces the character of God and the work of God. And as a result, he's able to endure the cross. He dies on the cross. He is, rises again on the third day and he brings glory to God. When you are in distress, you can allow your emotions and your feelings to overtake your heart or you can pour those emotions out to God. You know, I love the fact that we named our, our series uh, Prayers of the Heart. You know, I've read a lot of books on prayer, a lot of sound advice, you know, different formulas on how to pray. You begin with Heavenly Father, and then you end, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. These are not the prayers that we see in the book of Psalms. There is no formula. You come with an honest heart. You, you, you express yourself in a very real way. You say, God, this is how I feel. And you know why that's okay? Because you know what's the foundation of a healthy relationship? You know, when we were having, my wife and I, we were having pre-marriage counseling, uh, there's two things that stood out um, to me that uh, our, the pre our professor told, uh, told us, Man, whatever happens, you guys have to be honest with each other, and you guys have to be able to trust one another. Honesty is the foundation of a healthy relationship. Same is true with God. Have you ever poured out your heart to God? I'm not talking about you complaining to other believers or other friends saying, man, you know, my, 
My situation is so, so difficult and bad. Have you ever processed your emotions, the way that you feel? Have you fully expressed your heart to God, saying that I am frustrated, God. I don't see your hand. I don't see your protection. I don't see your grace. I am just in this distress. And where are you? God longs to know your hearts because he longs to have a healthy and honest relationship with you. When you pour out your heart and make yourself known to God, when you make your request known to him, he doesn't rebuke you. Have you ever seen God say to a believer, man, why are you so emotional? You never see that. God embraces these emotions. Do you know that one-third of the psalms are songs of lament? That tells us something about life. It tells us that life is not easy. That there's a lot of things to be stressful about. And a lot of times life feels like it's falling apart. But don't let that get to you. Because that reality should actually point you to greater reality. The fact that this is not our home. But we have a Heavenly Father who is waiting for us. Let's pray. No, you don't need a seminary degree to be good at prayer. You don't need to take a 12-week course to be good at prayer. You don't need to read like 10 books on prayer. Because prayer is not something that you just do with your mind. Mind is, is definitely involved. But prayer begins with the heart. Maybe for some of you, you feel David because you're in a similar situation. Maybe you're facing difficulties in life. Maybe someone close to you, or maybe you yourself are struggling with sickness. Maybe you lost someone that you love. Maybe you've been betrayed by someone that you have trusted. Maybe your dreams have been crushed. That seems like you have no future. Maybe life just seems like it's falling apart and you see nothing that is worth praising. Maybe you feel rejected and forgotten by God, and you're just wondering how long. Lord, if that is you, I want you to invite, I want to invite you today to pour out your heart to the Lord. As we sing these next couple songs, just express your heart. Don't try to form your prayer in a beautiful way. Don't try to find all the right words to say. God wants to listen to your heart. He wants you to be honest. He wants to know you to know that you can trust him. That unlike our parents, that God is not going to rebuke us, tell us to oppress our emotions, uh, suppress our emotions, but God is going to embrace those emotions because it's given by God. And maybe some of you, you're just afraid to go to God in such a way. And let me tell you, if you can't express your emotions in an honest way, maybe you're not just you're just not close to God. And maybe you just have to think about his character and what he has done for you. Do you know that Jesus, he died for you? That he paid the ultimate price to save you, but also to redeem you. Although our feelings are sick, distorted, the cross brings light and it restores, it makes things new. 
We are a new creation in Christ, which means our minds, our heart is new as well. Ezekiel 36, God says, I'm going to place a new heart in you. And that is going to be my new promise, the new covenant. I'm going to replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Don't be afraid of your emotions. When you surrender to God, when you embrace the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the grace of our Lord and Savior, you have freedom to go to God in an honest way because you are no longer a slave nor a foreigner, but you are a child of God. And a child always has the right to be themselves in front of their parents, no matter what you have experienced in the past. Don't hold back. Pour your heart to him, your heart out to him. Let's pray.